This morning, I'd like to introduce you to an historical uh, African-American pastor by the name of Lemanuel Haynes. Emmanuel Haynes was born July 18th, 1753, in Connecticut. But when he was five months, he was shipped to Massachusetts. There he was a slave. He was abandoned and sold into slavery by his parents, as one was black and the other was white. He was set in double hearts, and that's a pretty hard parent abandonment and slavery. As far as I'm concerned, that's a pretty hard way to start life. No parents and sold into slavery. And although he was a slave, he was highly educated. He was mostly self-taught. In 1773, at 20 years of age, Mr. Haynes was converted and professed his faith in Jesus Christ. He was set free from the bondage of sin, although he was still in the physical bondage of slavery. It would be a year later that he would also be set free from the chains of slavery as well. He immediately became a soldier in the Revolutionary War. There he signed up to be a Minuteman in the Continental Army. Haynes, after the war, took up role as pastorate. He pastored a church for 30 years in Ruthland, Vermont. He gave 30 years of service to the Lord there. And I'm telling you, if you're a pastor and you get 30 years of your life to the Lord, that is absolutely amazing. He was the first African-American pastor to an all-white congregation. He spent the last 11 or so years of his life pastoring in West Greenville, New York. Mr. Haynes died on September 28, 1833. And during his life, he took a stand against false teaching, and he also opposed slavery. This was not easy for him during his time. In spite of all of that, he was a prolific writer and very influential in the Northeast during his time. However, he was not foreign to suffering. One writer, Dante Stewart, sums up his hardship this way. In his ministry, church conflict would prove so great that Haynes, not once but twice, would have to step down from the pastorate, one of which he labored for 30 years. Haynes not only knew the bite of ministerial strife, he also knew well the sting of bodily ailment. He continued in ministry until five months of dying. Reverend Cooley shares, these months were marked by severe suffering which caused him to contract an infection in one foot in March 1833, which caused him extreme anguish day and night. And these days were tremendously hard, and he had seasons of doubt of God's promises. This part of his life was indeed marked by hardship. However, what amazes me about this pastor, what amazes me about his life is his dying words to his friend. He says... I have been examining myself, myself in my past life, but I can find nothing in myself, nothing in my past services to recommend to the bar of Jehovah. Christ is my all. His blood is my only hope of acceptance. My pains are great, but blessed be God, they are not eternal. I long to be in heaven. 
Family, this pastor reminds us of the cost it is to follow Jesus. He reminds us this morning of what it is to be a faithful disciple of Jesus. This morning, I would like to tag this message, the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. Indeed, friends, we must understand that following morning, I will be going against the grain of American Christianity. A Christianity that calls us to convenience rather than inconvenience. A Christianity that calls us to comfort rather than suffering. A Christianity that calls us to self rather than to Jesus. It is my task to but the scriptures. In its original context. Not America, but the scriptures. My prayer is that we would be delivered from this sort of Burger King Christianity, this have-it-your-way Christianity. You just tell me how you want your Jesus made up, and we'll give it to him, give it to you exactly that way. You want them cute, we'll give them to you cute. You want them polished up, we'll give them to you polished up. Long as your coffee, your coffee is hot and your seat is comfortable and the AC is coming and you keep on tithing, we're all right with that. We'll give you whatever Jesus you want. Whatever Jesus that makes you feel good, you can have it your way. Uh, My prayer is that we would be delivered from that kind of Christianity in hopes that we as a body may begin to truly grasp the meaning of our Savior when he says, follow me. When Jesus tells his disciples to follow him, I want to dig deep into that and to really expound upon what it means to follow Jesus. So that when our lives are all said and done, and our lives will be done at some point on this earth, we may have a rock-solid confidence like hangs in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That we may look back on our lives and notice we have served Jesus well to the glory of God. And in spite of the suffering, suffering accompanied with it, we can say with confidence it was worth it. This is the voice, drop of suffering was worth it. This is the voice of a true disciple. A true disciple of Jesus embraces the suffering because he loves his Savior. And if you would be so kind this morning to indulge me for the next 35 to 40 minutes as we journey as a family through Luke 14, 25 through 35. If you would join me this morning as we journey through Luke 14, 25 through 35. And the scripture reads, Now a great crowd accompanied him, and turned and said to, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross, who desiring to build a tower does not, cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who sees it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. And deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet great, great, great way off, he sends a delegation and acts with terms of peace. So, therefore, any one of you 
who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how should it saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or the manure pile. It is thrown away. The manure pile, that's part of the text. I just, so I know I didn't throw that in there. I paused when I seen it myself, but it's, it's there. It's the stuff that's in the Bible. I mean, it's there. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Church, there is no doubt that this text is about discipleship. In fact, the key to this text is to first realize how much my disciple is used. If you look at the text, you see it in verse 26. You see it in verse 27, and you see it again in verse 33. You cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. This text is an invitation to become, to, to become Jesus' disciple. Now, I do want to say up front, because it's not immediately in the text, but as as, as, as any good interpreter of the Bible understands that when there's things that the Bible doesn't immediately give to text, we want to consider the entire uh, counsel of God. And, and, and one of the things that the text doesn't say directly, but I believe that Jesus hint to, is the way we become his disciple is by coming, not initially in faith. In this text we will see, if anyone does not come to Jesus, he cannot be his disciple. I want you to understand that and press that in the forefront of your mind. If you do not come to Jesus, you cannot be his disciple. And I'm not talking about physically coming to him. The context by which uh, we are proved to be his disciples. He's going to set the context by which uh, evidence is given to those who truly have taken. Foremost is, why are you following Jesus? The question this morning I want to lay before you, first and foremost, is, Why are you following Jesus? Why are you following Jesus? Understand that our writer this morning starts out with letting us know a great crowd was following Jesus. Look at verse 25. He says, now great crowds accompany him. All right, so we get the picture here. Jesus is walking, and as he's walking, there's a crowd of people following him. And we know a thing or two about following in our culture, right? If you're hooked up to social media, you know about following. Many of us stalk famous people on Facebook, following them everywhere, hoping that we can just get a hug and a selfie with them. So for my young people, basically, when they say there's a great crowd following Jesus, basically, it's all of your Facebook followers following you around physically. So that's what's happening, just to help out the young people in the room. There are all kinds of reasons why these people are following Jesus. We really love to follow Jesus, but do we really know him? There are all kinds of people following him, and I can assure you they were following him for several reasons. Some were following him because of the miracles he had done. Some were following him because of the gossip they heard around in Jerusalem. Bring reports to the Pharisees, it was true. Some were following him to spy on him and bring reports to the Pharisees conspiring on his death. Others were following him because they thought that because Jesus was rising to the top, this was their moment. You know those people who see you rising to the top, and they want to just hook their claws into you so that they can get to the center stage with you. These people are following Jesus for a lot of reasons. And I want you to understand this this morning. 
that Jesus knows following him. Jesus knows why every single individual in this room is following him. Look at John. He said, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Understand that Jesus knows why you're following him more than you do. The question you should ask yourself this morning is, why am I following Jesus? Is it because you heard he will make you financially stable? Is it because you think he will make you feel better as a person? That is, you are in love with the idea of God making much of you. Is it because you feel that serving Jesus is a noble task? Are you following Jesus because it quiets your conscience on the evil you know you have no attention of repenting of? Are you following him because you believe you, Jesus will be in your debt because you show up to church and he shouldn't allow anything bad to happen to you? Are you following him because it's just what you do? It's kind of like Nike. I just do it. I don't know why I do it. I just follow him. It's a mechanical thing for me. I don't really worship him. I just, I just follow him just because. Is, it just, is Jesus just another person on Facebook you decided to follow and you really don't know him? Is your life with Jesus only as deep as type amen and you'll get a blessing in 10 hours? Why are you following Jesus? The crowd was following Jesus, and many of them were trying to decide what to do with this Jesus guy. Now look at verse 25 again. And he said, and and he turned and said to them. Okay, so I don't want us to miss the picture here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. A great crowd is following him. Jesus stops in his tracks. He realizes that there's a great crowd following him, and now he's going to address this great crowd. But I want you to note that Jesus is not moved by how many people are following him. We live in a number-driven church culture, but numbers does not move Jesus. It doesn't move him. Jesus is not lacking in self-esteem. He doesn't need you to make him feel better. Jesus is sufficient by himself. A lot of us think we're doing him a favor. Oh, poor Jesus. Oh, poor Jesus. Jesus was here before you were. And he's okay by himself. Because he's feeling bad about him. Jesus is not lacking in self-esteem. Doesn't need somebody to encourage him because he's feeling bad about himself. He's a standard of beauty. All things belong to him. Human praise means nothing to him. Jesus is not looking at this. Jesus is now looking at this crowd straight in the eye. Jesus is getting ready to say something that is going to shake each individual in the audience to the core. Let's settle for self. What he's about to say will make it clear that our Savior will not settle for self-pleasing, self-indulging. Worldly-minded, leave Jesus at church on Sunday. I got a wonderful church attendance, won the memory verse award. Jesus is Lord only on social media type disciples. Jesus is getting ready to push this audience to the brink. He's not playing games here. He's serious. You see, being a disciple was not foreign to the Jewish culture. They are not foreign to this. Usually the disciple would follow around their leader called the rabbi, meaning teacher. And disciple simply meant student. So this rabbi-disciple relationship is is likened to a teacher and a student, but in Jesus' day, just a little bit more intense. 
The ironic thing, though, is that, is that Jesus was re- He was called rabbi because he had such a great following. In fact, Jesus likely had the most, the largest following in Jewish history. Jesus had a ton of people following him, just as we see in many of our megachurches, many numbers. But it doesn't mean that they are truly following him. What I'm in faith. And this, those who are truly Jesus' disciples are those who cling to him in faith. And this faith is revealed as we encounter suffering and say that Jesus is still better. As we encounter suffering, we say, I still prefer him. Is evidence of the real disciple. The first evidence that Jesus gives of a real disciple is that they love their Savior. Look at verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Hold up, wait a minute, stop the press. Let's not just zoom past this, right? Now imagine that all of us are in the audience right now, right? We're the crowd following Jesus, and maybe the person next to you is there with you, and you're following Jesus, and he just made this statement. We should be thinking, like, hold on right there, buddy. You had me for a minute. I came here. I heard you give miracles, and, 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 and I heard you turn water into wine. That's why I showed up uh, this, this, this morning, uh, because I heard of the miracle. Yeah, 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 that's why I showed up. And now you're talking like a crazy man. <laughs> Let's hold up right there. I'm not drinking that Kool-Aid that fast. Are you telling me? I have to hate everyone and everything I love in order to chase after you? Is that what you're telling me? What makes you think that I'm going to give up my career, my nice house, friends, and comfort to follow you, Jesus? What makes you think that I'm going to do that? And this Jesus guy has lost his rabbit mind. If I was in the audience, that's what I'll be saying. Now, I know some of you guys are holy and uh, you'll never deny your Savior, and, and you'll be with him forever. And if everyone else forsake him, you'll still be there. I just want to remind you, Peter said the same thing until he heard the chickens clucking. So let's come down off our high horse, and let's just be real here. If I'm in the audience and I'm hearing this kind of talk coming towards me, I'm thinking, Jesus crushes, talking about. In this statement, Jesus crushes everything that is human. Blood, country, political party, in ethnicity, he says, hate it. Now, unless some of you got out of here a little bit too radical, let me bring some balance to this statement. Because I don't want anybody going out of here saying, yep, I hate all you guys anyway. Never wanted to be around you. I'm out of here. Not what he's saying. But Jesus listed five categories of things to hate in order to follow him. And they are all relationships that we are usually very dear to us. Number one, he says, hate father and mother. Now, we know Jesus is not demanding an unqualified hatred. We know that God has demanded in his word that we honor our father and mother. In fact, in the Jewish community, because of this command, parents were held at high regard and respect. So what are you talking about, Jesus? He says, hate your wife. Now, we know Jesus is not calling husbands to hate their wives in a wicked way because it would contradict Ephesians 5.25. 
Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Therefore, we know Jesus is not considering that kind of hatred. What are you talking about, Jesus? Had your face in the crowd, what are you talking about? We know in your word that you call us to love our wives. But he also says, hate your children. Now, I know this is tough for some of you, and you're probably ready to walk out. Hold on, I love my babies. Now, I'm not going to give up my babies, right? Now, we know Jesus loves children. He loved them so much, he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. We see this in Mark 10, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. What are you talking about, Jesus? He says, hate your brother and your sister. Now, we know Jesus does not mean a hatred of evil towards our brothers and sisters. Because this is the same Jesus, therefore, be a reconciler of the brother. We see this in Matthew 5, 24. Leave your gift, therefore, the altar and go. And first, some of us could be delivered from this right here. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then come to the altar. Come and offer your gift. Jesus said, don't come talking to me Amen. until you and your brother is cool, until you guys are straight. Amen. And then Jesus, after he names all those relationships, he gets down to the bottom of things. And he says, even hate yourself. Amen. How can Jesus tell us to hate ourselves and then tell us to love others as we love ourselves as an understanding on how we ought to love others? You see this in Mark 12, 33. Speaking of God first, and to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself. My friends, at first glance, we must think Jesus is easy, a crazy psychopath that contradicts himself or he is getting at something in this verse. Jesus being the brilliant teacher that he is helps humans to understand their level of worship. Jesus is talking about worship in this text here. Jesus takes every relationship that we hold dear to our hearts and to make sure there is no misunderstanding, he says, even hate yourself, because many of us know. We disown a lot of people, but it'll be a cold day in hell if I disown myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. I may, I may do something to myself, but I tell self, oh, it's going to be all right. We're going to be all right. We're going to live to fight another day. Get on up. We're going to be all right. But when somebody else does it, we like, I can't believe you did that to me. I can't believe you would... So Jesus wants to make sure that he leaves nothing out, and he says, even hate yourself. You say, that's okay. Jesus is asking me to do such things, and I wonder if it is really true. Jesus, in so many words, is saying that the love you have for your parents, your children, your friends, your siblings, and self should pale in comparison to me. Jesus is asking that our love be so devoted to him. So passionate for him that when the world looks at it, when your loved one looks at it, they say, you don't love me like that. It ought to look like hatred in comparison to your love for Jesus. Oh, church, Jesus requires a love so great and so pervasive that nothing can come close to it. Let me help you out here. When a wife or a husband complains to their spouse, about loving something good over them. It could be a car, it could be basketball, it could be ministry, it could be children, it could be hanging with the girls, it could be, it could be any of those things. Getting your nails done, it could be getting your hair wrapped, it could be getting extensions, getting weaved, getting yakky, it could be any of those things. And when your spouse says, why you keep putting those things over me? 
They're not telling you to stop doing it. They're saying that the love you have for those things should not compare to me. And so many relationships, so many marriages fall apart because we have caused that we, we have let things exceed our love for our spouse. One person put it to me like this. Dexter, you be careful in ministry because ministry can be like a second wife. It's not that ministry is bad, but it is bad when it becomes more important than my family, when it becomes more important than all that God has called me to do. Jesus is not calling us to hate our family, but to put them in the right priority. Church, hear the words of our our Savior here. If you wish to be my disciple, nothing goes before me. My disciples count me more worthy than all things in the world. Money can't be more lovely than me. Your boyfriend can't be more lovely than me. Your child can't be more lovely than me. Your furniture, your house, your business, your grind, your hustle, nothing. Your love for me should burn like the sun in comparison to a candle. Nothing goes before me. And I remember the words of Moses. Moses penned in Deuteronomy. For your Lord God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. My glory I will not give to another. I will not have no other gods before me. You will not put anything before me. I'm God Almighty. I was here before the foundation of the world. I gave you breath. I gave you life. And you will treat me as such. He's God of the universe. He will not be belittled. He will not be treated less than the carpet in our houses. He will be esteemed, and he will be worshipped as he is deserving. And in this enigmatic paradigm, Jesus destroyed our American Christianity. He destroys the Jewish paradigm on discipleship. Do you really want to follow me? Do you really want to follow me? You'll have to give up the pleasures of the world. Moreover, by the time we are done, some people will mistake your love for me as hatred for them. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? In other words, pretenders don't last long following me. In the hood, we say, hey, we don't like phony people. We don't like phony people. You either the real thing, oh, don't mess with me. Keep it 100, oh, don't mess with me. All right? I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to be loving, but, but you're giving me 90% and I need 100%. Jesus is saying that pretenders will not last in following him. And I guarantee you, church, this following Jesus for all the wrong reasons, you won't be following him for long. This kind of discipleship that Jesus is calling us to is not easy. This is humanly impossible, which is why I think Jesus requires it. Following Jesus will take the power of God. It will take the power of God to follow him. If you try to follow Jesus on human strength, you're not going to make it. You're not. It's hard to love all of these other things over him. You need the miracle-working Jesus to do a miracle in you, cause you to come alive and love God with the intensity Namely, God has to give you a new heart. And if not, the moment he takes your child, you're done. The moment following Jesus caused friction in your home, you're done. The moment there's no paper towel in the man's bathroom, you're done. The moment there's no coffee, you're done. 
The moment you experience opposition, you're done. We try to separate this other thing. The moment conflict happens between your brother and sister, you're done. Unless you truly are following him. Because when you realize that he doesn't just want to be your savior, but that he wants to be the Lord of your life, things change. Do you recall in John 6, the 5,000, Jesus being as the God that he is, he takes a Lunchable and he divvies it up between a few people. And they walked a long way. They followed him a long way for that, uh, for that uh, Lunchable. And Jesus sits down and he divides up the Lunchable between the 5,000. That's just numbering the men. It had to be women and children. Some commentaries say it could have been 16 or 20,000 people there. Jesus divvies up the Lunchable. He leaves. He goes over. He goes on the other side of the water. Well, there was freely here. So they cross over. So let's follow him on over here. See if we get some more free link card over here. So they cross over and they follow Jesus to the other side. And they say, hey, buddy, you're the one who gave us that Lunchable last week. You got any more Lunchables with you? Jesus said, I ain't got no more Lunchables, but I got something else for you. I want to give you myself. And they said, no, we ain't come over here for that. Oh, no, we didn't come here for that. And so many people in church will follow Jesus until he offers them himself. And then all of a sudden, we don't want to follow him. All of a sudden, he's not Lord. All of a sudden, he's not God anymore. Bethel Gary, listen to me on this. If you don't follow Jesus for Jesus, you will not be following him long. Understand this. I don't want you to miss this. If Jesus is a means to something else, that's idolatry. It's idolatry. I'm using you, Jesus, as a movie ticket. Once I get my movie, I throw you away. You follow Jesus like that, you're not going to last in this. It's not going to happen. So let me tell you, when you come to grips with all the suffering you have to endure to follow him, the only way you make it through is if you came to him for the right reasons in the first place, which is him. Jesus is the goal. Let's look at verse 27. He said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay, so let's go back. We're in the audience. We're following Jesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He turns around. He stops. He's already said one crazy statement, and now he's going to land another one on them. I mean, he's really serious here. Jesus is not trying to build Facebook followers with the statements that he said. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm like, what are you doing? They're going to leave you. But he keeps pressing in. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Okay. He just told us one radical thing and lands another one on us. He says, whoever does not bear his cross. Let me let that settle there. In this statement, Jesus draws a direct line to Calvary in following him. The Jewish people knew exactly what he was talking about. They were well acquainted with crucifixion. They knew when he said cross, it meant suffering. Jesus is not speaking uh, in a confusing way here. He's being very clear with them. 
When he says cross, they're like, oh, with crucifixion. And when Jesus makes them get what you're saying here, they were well acquainted with crucifixion. And when Jesus made this statement, you can't help but to question, are you trying to lose everyone, Jesus? Because here's the reality, church. It is like Jesus telling us, follow me and pick up your electric chair. Follow me and pick up your electric chair. If someone makes that statement, are you going to follow them? I mean, really. I don't think I would. Unless you are with this statement anyways. Jesus is saying, unless you are willing to die a series of death, perpetually dying to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. Church, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you by default want to become acquainted with suffering. There is times in the Christian walk, if we can get real here and get on the same ground level here, there is times in the Christian walk, when Jesus talks about suffering, he's not always talking about uh, a physical death. He's talking about dying to yourself, denying yourself of things that you uh, would want over him. There's times in the Christian life where you have to forgive those you don't want to. There are times in the Christian life where you have to love your enemies, pick up your cross. There are times when you will feel like the outcast of society. Pick up your cross. There are times where people will shame you for your beliefs. There is times when your boyfriend won't, don't understand why you get up and go to church for a Jesus you cannot see. Our brothers and sisters around the world are being slain in the sand for this Jesus. They claim to be Lord of their life. Following Jesus is no game, church. But hear me on this. True disciples of Jesus, we embrace the suffering. Why? Because we care more about the gospel than our lives. We care more about the fame of Jesus than our fame. He is more important than us. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He said the Christian life is different. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No have measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch here and there. I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but I want to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think are innocent, as well as the ones you think that are wicked. I want the whole outfit. You better get this, church. Your Lord wants every corner of your life. And oh, the joy when he has all of you. This is why early in Luke he says, the road to destruction is wide, but the road to life is narrow. When the gospel plants itself in the life of the believer by faith, it begins to spread out its branches until the whole man is consumed with Christ. This is why he says, bear his cross and come after me. A true disciple is on a hot pursuit of Jesus. And oh, I pray that God would wake us up so that we would run after his glorious son. I pray we would be able to say the words of Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's what I think happens when we hear the gospel. In the middle of the gospel is Jesus. And it's not just Jesus, it's a bloody Savior who has died for our sins. And we, by the power of the Spirit, see this Jesus in the cross. Understand what happens to you, believer. So many times we, we, we overlook salvation, but I want you to know what's happening to you. The gospel comes, the Spirit accompanies the gospel, and he opens the eyes of your heart, and you see him. And the only thing you can say is, I want him. I, I want him. I can't explain it. I want him. I don't want anything else. I just want Jesus. And our love for him becomes so powerful. It becomes more powerful than any magnet in the world. We are continually being drawn to him, drawn to him, through suffering, through trials, drawn to him, drawn through him, through difficulty, through turmoil, drawn to him, drawn to him. We keep going for him, going for him. Satan whispers in our ear, they're not going to like you on your job as long as I got King Jesus. He says that all your friends are going to disown you. That's okay. As long as I got King Jesus. Your family's not going to love you. That's okay. As long as I got King Jesus. Doesn't matter what you take from me. As long as I got Jesus. You can take all the money off. All the car, all the clothes, the business, all of it. As long as I got King Jesus to live as Christ and to die as gain. And when that boyfriend looks over at you and say, I don't understand why you're leaving all these biceps and triceps. You just look at him and say, I serve a God that is much better. I can't keep living like this. I can't keep doing this. I got to be done with this. When we pick up our cross and follow Jesus, the world can't comprehend it. Your family can't comprehend it. As the one song says, I've been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. But as long as I got King Jesus, no mother, no father, no brother, no sister. Long as I got who? King Jesus. I know there's some people in here that knows what it's like to just have King Jesus. I didn't have nothing else, but I had my Lord with me. Everybody forsake me, but I had my Lord with me. Jesus goes on to say, if you're considering following me, if you are thinking about, hey, you know what? You said some crazy stuff, but I think I want to follow you because you sound like the real deal. Jesus says, hold on. Jesus gives two parables to clarify what one should do before following him. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who sees it begins to mock him and saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war would not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a way off, he sends a delegation and acts for terms of peace. In these short parables, Jesus conveys to us the importance of considering what it would cost us to follow him. Using the analogy of a tower first, he illustrates to his followers how a reasonable person does not just go into building a tower without considering how much it would cost him. Understand that in Jesus' culture, they operated on honor and shame. If you see that little thing there, he says that they'll make fun of them. In Jesus' culture, no one wanted to be made fun of. In our culture, we don't want to be found guilty. In the Middle East, they don't want to be found in shame. And so Jesus says here, he says, 
He says, before building the tower, you want to consider the cost. This isn't some small house project, painting the walls or putting bookshelves up in the living room. You better know what it takes. In other words, realize completely what you are getting into. Jesus was trying to convey to this crowd of people who were following him, don't follow me because you need a little emotional getaway from your breakup. Don't follow me because you need your wife to believe that you are changing. Do not follow me for superficial reason. So many people make an emotional decision for Jesus while the church manipulates their emotional decision and never give them Jesus. Don't come to me. Because you need me to fix something in your life. You come to me because I am what you need. For goodness sake, Christianity does not present a pillow. It presents a cross. Suffering. Just in case they didn't understand it. Jesus goes at it at another angle just in case they didn't understand. He says, listen, you don't go to war without understanding what you are up against. The king considers if he wants to send his army to war after he has considered all things. The king realizes if he just goes charging into battle, this could go bad. He needs to know if he can do this. You want to follow Jesus, consider what it is going to cost you. Jesus is looking at this crowd and saying, listen, following me, don't you? But I'm, you think that following me is just about getting food and miracles and fame, don't you? But I'm here to tell you, I'm calling you to give it all up and follow me. Are you willing to do that, church? Are you willing to abandon it all for him? You say you want me to be your Lord. Do you know I demand everything? Hear the cost to be my disciple. Everything you have and everything you are, every corner of your life is mine. Jesus wants you to be willing to say goodbye to everything. You see, church. You don't mind giving it up if Jesus is your treasure, if Jesus is your number one love. So by way of application, I want to use the gospel to help us understand what Jesus is calling us to do. Bethel Gary this morning, I am so happy that we serve a Savior that doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. I'm glad he is not a teacher that expects something from his students that he himself isn't willing to do. I'm thankful that we have a leader that leads by example. Paul says in Philippians, have this mother servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, church, before Jesus would have his disciples pick up their cross, he would first pick up his cross in order that they may pick up their cross. So, church, let us learn from our Savior, our rabbi, and our Lord this morning. Church, Jesus shows his disciples in his life what it meant to leave a sacrificial, compassionate life. Jesus is so brilliant in the way that he does this because he has a way of confirming people in their inherent dignity and simultaneously rebuking their sins. In his righteous life, he affords righteousness for his undeserving disciples. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Jesus, during the duration on this earth, Jesus gave up himself freely in case, in case, in case you didn't believe me, I brought a witness. Woman at the well, come talk 
to us. Can you come talk to God's people this morning, woman at the well? Woman at the well, can you tell God's people how he, your master, spoke to you, although all of society didn't want anything to do with you? Woman at the well, can you tell God's church this morning how he was supposed to be eating lunch, but instead he was talking to you? Woman at the well, can you tell God's people this morning how you had all kinds of husbands and you were looking in all kinds of places, but this God man Jesus stopped to have a conversation with you. Woman at the well, can you tell them that you came in his presence for uh, uh, physical water, but you left with living water? Woman at the well, can you tell his church this morning how he loved you in spite of you? Bethel Gary, I came to tell you that Jesus' disciples know what it is to have compassion like their Savior. And when we consider the mercy that he had on our life, we ought to have mercy at people that would serve others. Bethel Gary, can I challenge you this morning to be like Jesus, be a people that would partner with us in taking the gospel message to those who are broken, arrogant, rich, poor, fatherless, bereaved, shed out, kept out, strung out, and serve this community to the glory of God. Jesus shows us in his life what it is to be a disciple, how to love in his death, even the undeserving. In this, Jesus separates himself from all other rabbis. Jesus says, you witness rabbis teach their disciples you so that they may be set free from sins. But I came to die for my disciples. I died so that they may be set free from sin, guilt, shame, and fear. Jesus pours out his life for the guilty, the weak, and the wicked so that we might become the beneficiaries of his love. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the truth shepherd. And I knew, I knew that the possibility that you wouldn't believe me. So I brought Peter to speak to you this morning. Peter, would you speak to God's people this morning and tell God's people how you denied Jesus in his heaviest hour, how, how you turned your back on him when they were beating him, how he bared the cross with thorns, although you were looking the other way, Peter, and saying that you didn't know him. Can you tell him that in that hour, he still accepted you. He still loved you. He still died for you. He still kept going to Calvary for you and spite of you. Bethel Gary, I came this morning to tell you that we ought to be a people that will give up ourselves so that people may see the love of Christ. It may be hard. It may be difficult. They may not love you. They may not accept you. They may not agree with you, but you just keep on trucking ahead because Jesus has set the example. So in his life, he shows us what it is to be compassionate. In his death, he shows us what it is to love those who don't deserve it. But in his resurrection, he shows his disciples what it means to hope in him. One day, Jesus is going to come back and take his bride with him. You understand that you're going to judge angels one day. And one day, the entire universe is going to be yours. Now, I know some of you may have missed it. So, so I came with another example, just in case you didn't get the gospel that way. I got something else for you. Many of you have seen Coming to America. And in Coming to America, there's a prince. There's a prince, a wealthy prince. He leaves, he leaves Africa, and he he flies over to Queens, New York. He humbles himself. He goes into a ghetto. He finds a bride, a pretty girl, that thought that she had everything, thought that she didn't need him, but he humbled himself and wooed herself to him. By the end of the movie, the, the I don't think you guys got me yet, to Africa, and he marries her, and he says, all that I have is yours. I don't think you guys got me yet. In other words, Jesus, in the same way, he condescended from heaven. He dwelt among people. He came to a ghetto called Galilee. He found some people that didn't deserve him, that didn't want him, and gave himself 
for her. In other words, church, Christ is calling us to give ourselves up so that Jesus may be Lord in this world. This morning, church, as the choir makes their way back up here, following Jesus it's going to cost us some, church. But what I want to say to you this morning is that the world is looking for a church that will truly show that they have been changed by the God of the universe. We got to get past these church games. We got to get past our Sunday morning service. And truly be the body of Christ. And it's going to call for us to die to ourselves. It's going to call for us to be inconvenienced. But there's teenagers behind us that are lost, that needs Jesus' disciples. There's shelters around us with women that are hurting and don't know where their next meal would be that needs the disciples of Jesus. There are men out here that don't know what it is to be a man, don't know what it is to be a father. And they're waiting on Jesus' disciples. And if all we ever do is gather together in our cute little Sunday gathering, while the world goes to hell, what are we doing? Come on now. Because this Jesus says, you'll love your mother less than me. You'll love your life less than me. And you will pick up your cross and you will follow me. 